Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, folks. This is John Nigerian with a special edition and a very special presentation today. Before we get into it, though, we have to remind you that this is for educational and informational purposes only, full stop. All investments involve risk, so you need to be aware of that prior to making any investment. Intellectual property rights, there's a lot of intellectual property here, um, not limited to copyrights, trademarks, patents, all that kind of stuff. Please ask us before you uh, reproduce anything you're about to see, and of course, cite us if indeed you decide to use this. Thank you. All right, with that said, we're going to kick off today with some outstanding investors. Uh, my brother Pete and Kevin O'Leary, they're the outstanding investors. And a man who has just done a fabulous job leading a company that is, has exploded. Since the first time I heard from Kevin O'Leary, John, you got to talk to J.R. Ron. You got to talk about what's going on with MindMed and this microdosing. And I, I had to wrap my head around that and figure out, okay, let's do that. But Kevin, why are you so excited about the company? So rather than me explaining what Kevin said about why he was so excited, please give us a little bit of that spice that you threw into this one at the beginning, Kevin. So the, the basic premise of the investment, because I see a lot of deals, you know that, John, and, and, and I kind of tiptoed through the tulips on stuff. Um, this one was interesting because it was right at the height of the, the cannabis explosion that I never participated in for one singular reason. It's a Schedule One narcotic, and they were going after the recreational market, and that incites the RICO statue. And if you're an institutional investor, there's nothing worse than getting involved in that kind of, a, of, of a, an issue, put it that way, for compliance reasons. So I just said no all the time. Then along comes JR and says, look, Kevin, this is a, an area that you should really look at. You're a kid that you know grew up with all kinds of issues around dyslexia. You've been through the ringer on it. I, it's all true. And uh, we're pursuing new medicines that haven't really been, there have been no options in this space for over 30 years. There's been really nothing to deal with alcoholism, you know, drug addiction, opioid addiction, depression. And that's what we're pursuing um, around psychedelics. And I said, you got to be kidding. This is worse than cannabis. This stuff is illegal as hell. <laughs> and, they, and, you know, all the bad stories about the army testing it back in the 60s and Timothy Leary and, and, he, and then he sat me down. And the thing about being an investor, you have to listen. Sometimes you have to shut your mouth and listen. And I learned that a long time ago. It's easy to talk. It's hard to listen. And what he mapped out was a plan to pursue it as medicine with no interest in pursuing recreational drugs, no interest in trying to get around the FDA, going to play it the long road. And the more I listened, the more I got interested. So I started doing due diligence. I put my guy Alex on it. And Alex is like a weasel. He'll rip your flesh off, and JR can attest to that. Alex was all over him, and he came back to me and said, boss, not only do I like this deal, I want to put my own dough into this deal. And I said, Alex, you don't have to. I'll lend you money as I do on every deal. You, you know, you're my guy. The way I like to work with Alex is I lend him the dough so his, his interests are aligned, if you know what I mean, on private deals, and he really sweats bullets on that because he knows if it doesn't work out, he owes me the money, and I'm not that nice a guy to owe money to. So at the end of the day, he was on board and that got me on board, but it was JR's focus on the medicinal side of this 
that told me this could be really, really interesting. And lastly, I'll say this to every investor to remember, this is highly speculative stuff in the beginning because it was binary. Either you lose all your money or you have an incredible outcome. And here we are in the middle of the journey or the beginning of it anyways, starting to see how MindMed is diversifying molecules, diversifying trials, giving you lots of potential outcomes, which is what I want. I don't want to invest in just one drug. Give me a plethora of tests. Give me lots of options. And I think that's what I like about MindMed you know, versus some of the other companies in the space, which are much more myopically focused on one opportunity. I don't like that. I like diversification. Yeah. Well, Kevin, um, I both love and hate you. <laughs> um, I love you because you're a brilliant guy. You've been kind enough to share your expertise with us at our conferences and so forth. And of course, on the halftime report. Um, and I think there's a reason you're called Mr. Wonderful. <laughs> on the other hand, I wish Mr. Wonderful could have taken and handcuffed me and kept me from selling a single share that I bought when we first had JR on. So folks, we're going to bring on the CEO and Kevin and my brother Pete and I are going to talk about this, but the stock that we're talking about is MMEDF, MindMed. And when I interviewed JR back in, I think it was April, uh, the stock was 34 or 36 cents. Today, as of this taping, the 14th of December, the stock is $4.70. So this is one of those moonshots. Like Kevin said, could you lose everything at 34 cents? Sure. Um, on the other hand, some of the milestones that this company has met have been astonishingly good. And the fact that they address uh, addiction, the fact that people with PTSD and other afflictions, not just ADHD and maybe that some of these microdosings are a lot safer and better for an individual. Again, I'm not saying that as a doctor because I'm not a doctor, it's just my nickname. Um, but uh, a lot of the folks that uh, have used uh, various accelerants, um, which is of course what, uh, you know, when, when you talk about people that have ADHD, one of the way you calm them down when people have dyslexia and other things is you give them certain drugs and some of those drugs are not only addicting, but they really screw at the whole person's life. So that's one of the things that JR wanted to address with the company. And like I said, uh, unfortunately for me, I've sold on the way up, still own it, love it. But unfortunately, looking back at it now, I wish that I was handcuffed and couldn't sell a single share. So JR, welcome. It's a delight to have you back with us. And I just have to congratulate you, even though I hate you this much, because of that, uh, because I sold a single share of this stock. Well, I'll, I'll make sure to send you another pair of handcuffs because. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe we should have some mind med handcuffs. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm going to send you some. All right. Done. Um, so, folks, what Kevin described already, and we're going to let JR do this as well, is, um, you know, when you're talking about microdosing of MDMA or DMT or LSD or any of this stuff, you know, for some people that really, you know, sets off alarm bells and says, don't touch it. The company, I believe, is still based in Switzerland, JR? We do a lot of work in Switzerland. We're, we're a Canadian listed company and a Canadian company, but um, we, uh, we have a, a big, big presence in Switzerland, yes. Yeah, and, and these guys have been not hiding from the FDA folks, 
which I'll let JR explain, but they've not been hiding. They've been working with various agencies like the FDA, like medicines over in Europe to basically say, look, these might be hallucinogenic drugs and all that sort of thing, but there are positives to the use, the proper use, the microdosed use of these that goes way beyond what anybody like Timothy Leary or anybody else was talking about um, when they were uh, first writing about discussing LSD, MDMA, and all that sort of stuff, right, JR? Yeah, well, I mean, we're looking at, you know, two areas. Um, one is microdosing, which you allude to, and we have a phase two trial for microdosing of LSD uh, for adult ADHD. Uh, we're also looking at experiential therapies, you know, where you actually might hallucinate um, and will hallucinate uh, during what we call psychedelic-assisted therapy, uh, where it's guided by a medical doctor or a therapist. And... I think the 1960s had a lot of bad headlines for what psychedelics truly are. And, and they are catalysts and they are potential medicines to really recalibrate your life. They're not panaceas. We shouldn't treat them as such. Um, but it's, I think, extremely important when somebody is you know, suffering from an addiction, uh, ruminating with anxiety, you need to recalibrate your life. And that is exactly what psychedelic assisted therapy uh, is capable of. And what we, what we realized was when we first set up this company, we got a lot of no's by the way. Um, you know, there was, Kevin wasn't our only no. I went through most of Silicon Valley, all the major funds out there, you know, the hotbed of innovation out in California, nobody was interested. Um, so what, what we saw was, well, this is really a mental health company. Uh, this is really about treating mental illness and, and addiction issues in America uh, and other parts of the world. And so if we're going to do that, we need to treat it as a medicine. And the way that you get a medicine approved in the United States is through an agency called the FDA. And um, every major medicine that, that's been approved in the United States has gone through the FDA. And so a lot of times people confuse us with the cannabis industry. We're as far away from cannabis as, as practically possible because we're trying to do everything in a federally compliant manner so that we can attract institutional capital and so that we can actually build a sustainable business that can provide these medicines to all Americans uh, in a scalable manner. Right. And um, obviously one of the things that appealed to me in our first conversation, uh, JR, and we'll be sharing some of those early conversations with the viewers and listeners as well. But one of the things that really uh, came across was, you're not looking to be, you know, a guy who feeds dispensaries, little microdose dots of uh, LSD or MDMA or any of the other things that you guys are working with. You are looking at this as a medicine not just because people in the cannabis space say, oh, it's medicine, <laughs> what they're doing, you know, they're medicinally using those uh, cannabis and so forth. And I'm not really trying to give them a hard time. I'm just saying that's not at all what MindMed is all about, is it? Oh, it's actually completely the opposite. We are, we are focused on how do we get these approved as federally regulated med medicines. Part of the FDA process is proving that something is both safe and effective. And you have to do, gather a lot of data in order to achieve that. 
Um, so our approach is, is, is very traditional in, in that manner. You know, I fell into this space um, because I was struggling. I had my own personal addictions. Uh, I was, you know, an alcoholic. I had issues with, with cocaine addictions. I uh, was struggling with anxiety. Um, you know, I was put on stimulant-based medicines from the age of, of 13. I was a basket case. You know, to the outside world in Silicon Valley, I was doing amazing. Uh, the fact of the matter is I wasn't alone. 40% uh, of Americans in the midst of COVID-19 had a mental health issue or form of addiction. 40%. 11% of Americans considered suicide in the month of June. One out of 10 of your friends had considered suicide. These are large, large societal problems that we need to deal with. And there's been an underinvestment in this space. The, and we don't, we don't have great medicines to treat mental health. You know, so I think this was really became a mission for me. It, how do we actually recreate a new paradigm upon which we can treat mental health? These are problems that affect my friends. They affect myself. I've lost friends to addiction and mental health, to suicide. You know, I, I need to solve these problems. And, and I wake up every morning and that's exactly what I'm focused on. Now, Pete, I know you um, are a guy who, much more than me, understands the biotechnology and things like that of various medicines. Um, sure. These guys, Pete, have two candidates in the pipeline, uh, psychedelic-derived pipeline. Um, now, you and I both know, Pete, that it takes a long time to get a candidate through that pipeline but like mm -hmm. I say, you're somebody who really follows that closely. So um, do you have any questions for JR regarding, you know, who, which scientific institutions they work with or anything else? Sure, JR, it seems like you guys have an absolutely enormous potential. Uh, and, and, and I know that John, as he was following this and he's kicking himself for selling a little bit, he's going to have to get another set of handcuffs because unfortunately, um, or, or fortunately for you and MindMed, it seems to me like this has been an, a completely unaddressed area. And because of that, the sky is the limit, so to speak. Um, how deep is the pipeline now? And what do you expect the pipeline, JR, to look like five years from now? Because clearly, uh, people are starting to understand how, uh, going from the 36 cents and all the way up here, now it's $4 plus today. It, it says a lot about where the company's going, but I don't think it's over. It seems to me like the addressable market is ab absolutely unbelievable. So um, I'm asking you that, how deep is the pipeline? But I'd also like to ask Mr. Wonderful, at what point in time do you reach a point where you say, uh, I've got to trim some of this? Is it that 5% rule or, or, or where? But first, uh, I'd love to hear from JR. Well, look, I, I, think, I think you're right. Um, you know, there's just been a, a massive underinvestment in, in the mental health and addiction space uh, when it comes to, to novel uh, treatments. And look, these substances clearly work. People are using them. I, I don't think the, the question is whether they're going to work. You know, we, what, what we have to do is present the data in a manner that the FDA understands and society can go along with. And that's what we're gonna be focused on. We have a collaboration in, in the birthplace of LSD, Basel, Switzerland, uh, where we're doing lots of R&D on 
We're, we actually just uh, are, are working on the first ever MDMA and LSD mixed together, uh, compounded together uh, a, a trial to see if that's safe in humans. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential there and you know, not a lot of people are, are talking about that potential. But we're, we're looking at novel molecules besides the traditional LSD, uh, DMT, uh, and, and MDMA. How do we make new forms of psychedelics? I think what's gonna, what you're gonna see happen is traditional or what we refer to as classic psychedelics are gonna open up this market. Um, it's gonna create this new paradigm that you know, psychedelic, assisted, psychedelic assisted therapy is a new treatment. And over time, companies like ourselves are gonna develop uh, novel molecules uh, that have uh, better potential efficacy pr uh, profiles over time, and, and those will replace the first generation. And so I think we're just going to keep innovating in that area. Um, but I also think, um, you know, the things that we are working on, we have three uh, commercial development programs right now. First is our uh, Project Lucy, uh, named, aptly named after Lucy in the Sky Diamonds, a great <laughs> Um, which is using LSD assist assisted therapy for treating anxiety disorders. We're going into a phase 2B on that trial next year. Uh, we have microdosing LSD for adult ADHD, uh, which we're also planning uh, to, to start up and received a positive regulatory response a, a few weeks ago uh, that our, our uh, protocol was, was, uh, was approved. The design was approved on, on that study. Uh, and then the last is uh, uh, we have an, something focused on opioid withdrawal and opioid use disorder called 18MC, which is also derived from a psychedelic substance. Just, uh, just on Friday, and I, I think what, what, what you are, are seeing currently in the market is that we met with the FDA uh, on Project Lucy, when, in a, what we call a pre-IND meeting. That's the meeting that you have before you open an investigational new drug uh, with the FDA. And we had a very positive conversation with them. And uh, we are now very confident and, and very clear on what we need to do to, to kick that trial off and, and, and open that IND in August. And so we're, we're on schedule and, and ramping up there. So that's very positive for the company. A big day for us and a big day for a lot of people that are focused, you know, that are suffering from anxiety right now. Uh, and there's a lot. COVID-19 is having a massive impact on rates of anxiety, depression, and addiction. Kev, I think Pete wanted to throw that other part out to you as yeah. far as, you know, yeah, sure. the, the way I, the, it all? Yeah, sure. Well, look, the way I look at it is that I stick with my rules, which is 5% of uh, the mandate and any one uh, stock. And I, that's one of my rules and never more than 20% in any one sector. Now, we're not there yet, so I can still, you know, um, say that the majority of what I have in MindMed is still there. I don't talk about buying and selling, but I still talk about those rules. And, you know, what I, the reason, and, and JR knows this, the reason I got into this space as an investor long term was, we talked about the binary outcomes. But here's the, um, the issue that I'm trying to deal with for the, for the sector. And I've, I've talked to the other CEOs of the other companies as well. And their, and their other shareholders, in order to take this forward right through to medicines, multiple medicines, because I've been a biotech investor in many molecules in the past, it's a very long game. And it's not cheap. You talked about it, Pete, the cost of running trials and expanding the portfolio. And the only way you can do it is you have to have institutional interest. 
And the way to get institutional interest is through indexing. And I'm an indexer, you guys know that. So the question for me is, will the sector, will the stocks be indexed into the pharma indexes? Will they be indexed in the biotech indexes? Will they be indexed in the mental health indexes? Because the, re the reason I care about that is my job every day is to listen to institutional capital flow. That's, that's how I invest. I, I, you, I used to fly every quarter to Dubai and I flew to Riyadh where those giant you know, institutions, those sovereign wealth funds would, would publicly talk about how they're going to allocate their capital. I also you know, talk to every institution I can about where they're going to be doing their, their sectoral changes quarter to quarter because my job as an indexer is, is to try and figure out what the index market wants to buy. And so we have not seen, this is such a nascent time in this space. We're not even there yet, but there's obviously investor interest in this space. And I'm going to be staying with it till I can find institutional interest in the space. And the, and the reason I started in the space that, you know, day one was I'm not going to run into that problem that all those poor cannabis guys had when they finally went to the institution and said, please index us. And the answer for 99% of it was no, because we do not breach RICO statutes. Some states say it's legal, some say it isn't. You don't have that debate with MindMed going on. Either they get through FDA approval or they don't. So an institution that's making a binary decision, yes or no, is going to look at what offerings are out there and say, you know what, I'm gonna index this new medicine. I'm gonna put it into the pharma index. I'm sticking around for that, and we're not there yet. But that was the reason I got involved. Now, did I anticipate this? No. But clearly, you guys are right, and JR, number one, is right. It's an underinvested space. I mean, come on. If you have a new medicine, even the potential for new medicine, just to deal with opioid addiction, you're talking about billions of dollars, billions that have affected families and businesses all around the world. And that's why there's a rush to try and find some solution to that because everything else we got is clearly not working. Trying to solve for opioid addiction with more opioids sounds like a pretty dumb idea to me. So we got to find something else and maybe, just maybe, this space is going to do that. So, you know, I'm not telling people what to do. If you own MindMed and you're up, whatever you're up, you know, I was having this debate with my son. I keep telling him, Trevor, you got to get diversified. You have to get diversified. But everybody has a tendency to stick with winners, but you should you should consider how concentrated are you? Now, I'm lucky. I've got a lot of investments, a lot. And so I consider myself very diversified. But MindMed is one that I really, really am excited about because I think we're in, you know, inning one of where this medicinal research is going. We're not even finished. The guys are still in the batting cage. And so we have to think long term. And for me, that is how do I help this company become an institutional holding? And we haven't done that yet. We've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. And um, again, full disclosure, folks, Kevin and I both own shares of MindMed. We own it knowing that binary possibility that Kevin mentions. So we are not trying to talk anybody into buying this. Instead, we are saying this is a whole new way instead of just focusing in on Oxycontin, for instance, which, of course, uh, is one of those issues that is costing billions of dollars in settlements right now because it might have made the problem bigger. In fact, many of us would say it did make the problem bigger when you're trying to get somebody off of an opioid addiction to put them on Oxycontin, when they have pain to put them on Oxycontin. These are the sorts of things, along with PTSD, along with um, some of the anxiety that JR and Kevin both spoke to 
those are some of the reasons that I got excited about it. Now, I also was pretty excited, JR, if I could just let you wind up with, uh, you took in 27 million, I think, recently on a round, um, 34 and a half million Canadian uh, to the company, which means collectively, you guys have raised close to $100 million recently in the financing. I don't mean shares, I mean, getting out there and uh, selling uh, to the either to individuals or institutions. Can you tell us a little bit about the fundraising? Yeah, well, the, the, the fundraising was led by uh, Canadian investment bank, Canaccord Genuity, um, which, uh, yeah, we've now raised, I believe, 94.5, yeah, 94, just 95 million US dollars uh, mm -hmm. since inception of the company. Um, look, we're going to need capital to, to, to reinvent an industry here. This yep. is not, you know, you're not going to do this on the cheap. However, uh, I think it's very clear that there's a lot of momentum, but these are big, big problems. The Lancet Commission said that mental health was going to have a $16 trillion a year impact on the economy by 2030. You know, I think any company that is looking at this mental health and addiction space uh, and having a medium to long-term outlook on it, these are really, really big markets, and we're going to need very large companies to, to address them in a new manner. That's what MindMed is about. And, you know, we're going to be looking at digital therapeutics, psychedelic inspired medicines. How do we marry those two? Uh, you know, telehealth has, I think, increased something like 30 fold in the midst of, of COVID-19. Healthcare, but specifically mental health care, is going through a renaissance and a revolution. And MindMed is going to be a big part of it, I think. JR, thank you so much for thank sharing you. that with us today. And like I say, for, for really creating a new category um, in terms of medicines and so forth. And uh, I continue to wish you good luck, good health, and really appreciate what you guys have done over at MMEDF, MindMed. So thank you, JR. Thank you, JR. Thank you so much. And I'll make sure to send those, uh, those handcuffs off. Yeah, I, I, need, I need some of them. I, I see Kevin laughing, but I need those. Come <laughs> I'm just angry about one thing. You two guys have known about this. JR's got his, I mean, he's doing his thing, but you two guys, I mean, you know, how about your younger brother? How about I get a little something? <laughs> how about your friend who's follically challenged over here? I mean, you know. <laughs> you know, you know? That's why I say these outcomes are binary. You just don't know. But, you know, you have to take a risk sometimes on a new idea. And that's... Um, Something I've learned the hard way as an investor. Sometimes you got to shut up and listen, and that's what happened on this one. Good. Awesome. Kev, um, switching over to the markets just for a little bit. Um, obviously, tremendous run since the election, an unbelievable moonshot, in particular out of small caps. Um, are you thinking that this run continues right into the end of the year? That's the first question. And the second part would be um, first quarter. Uh, obviously, Georgia can impact that positively, negatively, whatever your outlook. But what is your outlook for the first quarter after you tell us how you think we're going to finish up here in the end of the year? Well, I am making reallocations for Q1, Q2, because I think you really can't see much farther than that. We got this override with the vaccine distribution, which can only be positive. But I think it, from, from the investment perspective about uh, you know, the whole pandemic and the vaccine rollout, I'm going to make the assumption that we, we haven't got any more than half the population 
inoculated by the end of August. It's going to take a while. And I know there's people talking about it, it happening, but there's some, there's some headwinds. There's logistics, which people have you know, been talking a lot about. There's also what concerns me a little bit, um, this data about number of people that are willing to take it, you know, depends where you listen to. 30 to 50% of the population don't want to take it. That is not a good idea. And we're going to have to do some education about this. You know, the early adapters want the, the product right now and, and they're lining up for it. But we need to solve this problem. We need to get a large portion of the population, 80 plus percent, uh, inoculated. And hopefully that would happen this year. But so I'm, I'm looking forward to those presidents getting injected and the CEO of Pfizer doing it in front of everybody. We've got to get that kind of influence going here because um, it really freaks me out when even healthcare providers say they're not going to take it. So that you have to think about as investment. But thematically for Q1, here's, here's a nutshell for me. I just finished doing budgets. Again, this is anecdotal data for over 50 private companies um, till the end of Q2. And the biggest change over last year, 12 months prior, is a 20 to 50% reduction in business travel uh, for obvious reasons, but they don't need to because they have technology to do their meetings and it's proven to work. So what I've done is, is I'm a little concerned about my number one holding used to be commercial real estate because I love that sort of six to 8% yield I was getting off the properties. And I've had it for decades and it was like a core thing. Well, I've been selling most of that. I'm down to 8% now in commercial real estate. So I've got a lot of money to put to work. So my big sectoral themes are healthcare, and MindMed's obviously part of that. Uh, within the healthcare genre, I think the, the repatriation of, of all of the manufacturing of drugs and uh, are coming back to North America, Puerto Rico, Canada, Mexico, that's going to be a big spend over the next three to five years. That's huge. Healthcare and mental health, big themes. JR just talked about that. Uh, there's another emerging market, which is longevity. Uh, the idea that you can live better as you age, as opposed to some of the bad outcomes we see, seems to be a big area of investment. And I've got a bunch of guys working on that too. Um, that intrigues me because there's a, a lot of money there. And these are all healthcare themes. And then I love the consumer. You saw those retail numbers. You guys saw those numbers. We're at record highs. And that's because you're throwing in money every couple of months, another trillion coming soon, I think, back into the consumer's hands. And then the other sector, which I have to stay long because I'm spending more on it than ever in my businesses, is technology. So my big themes are healthcare, technology, and the consumer. And that's kind of moving out of the old stuff. I'm checking out of energy, checking out of uh, utilities and REITs. Um, so there is some movement in, in, in the quarters ahead. Pete, I know that you have a lot of uh, friends in the uh, uh, consumer discretionary space. You might even be visiting a few down in Florida right now. <laughs> I might be. I might be broadcasting for good friends tomorrow down here in Sarasota. But Kevin, uh, real quick question for you. You just hit it on at the very end of what you were talking about, about the different categories and sectors that you're looking at. Energy's had this great run. We all know it, especially the beta names in energy have absolutely exploded to the upside. So in your opinion, it sounds like you think that that is maybe coming to an end, at least a pause, if not anything else, but at least uh, the run might be kind of over there. 
What are your thoughts, though? And I know you and I have gone back and forth on this one, so I'm very curious on this. The financials right now. Um, well, let me they've just made a good run, too, from the start of November. That have. was one of the better reactors off of the, uh, the electric. Yeah, they have. Uh, let me go back to energy just to finish the thought that, that's really troubling me. I keep talking about um, institutional capital, sovereign capital, um, you know, indexing. What's bothering me the most about energy, because I have held energy at a 20% weighting since I was wearing diapers. I mean, energy to me is what the entire economy works on. And so for me to reduce uh, to basically zero right now my energy names, because I've always had a full weighting of Chevron and Schlumberger. But here's what's bothering me. So I'm talking, you know, off the record conversations with in institutions. On the record conversations, you saw CalPERS. The CEO talked about this uh, on uh, CNBC this, this week, actually. Maybe it was yesterday. Talking about, or, or unless maybe it was Thursday, last Thursday, talking about um, how she is listening to her LPs, her investors, her retirees, and they don't want to invest in hydrocarbons. Now, I've heard this debate since the cows you know, came, left the barn, and, and it's never bothered me. But it bothers me when the incremental dollar, the incremental buyer of every share you and I have, when you put that into the market, nine out of ten times is an institution buying that from you, an institutional buyer. It could be a sovereign fund, could be a pension plan, could be university, could be U of, T, you know, U of Texas, whatever. And they're putting it into an index or they're buying the individual name. When, the, when that buyer is telling you their plans for 2021, 2022, 2023, that they don't, they want to reduce the exposure, you got to wake up and smell the roses because that ain't good. That is not good. So if you're sitting on a pile of energy stocks and you've made a great run, as you've just pointed out, um, I, and this is a personal opinion. I don't tell people what to do with their own investments, but I would, I would take some, uh, I would take some off the table, if not all of it. And I, did, I recently did the same thing in uh, American Express. I bought into that stock in early November. I, I made two years worth of returns till recently. Then I saw my budgeting for, for, for business expense and travel for Q1, Q2, and I went, whoa, what is going on here? And what I learned from the CEOs was, well, there's not going to be any seminars. There's not going to be any conferences all through 2021. There's no, you know, if you go talk to a big speaker, any of the big agencies that are booking speakers, they're only doing it virtually. There's nobody saying, yeah, I'm going to go along a conference in Vegas or in Hollywood, Florida or LA or any of that stuff. And all of that chips away at the premise that business travel is coming back. So that's another thematic issue around the airlines. So I, I shorted jets, I shorted the airlines and I sold my Amex uh, because I made it, I had a good run on it. You know, there's nothing wrong with taking profit when you're seeing the economy do these shifts that, that they're doing. And, and, you know, I'm just, I'm just watching this morning. The, uh, I was on halftime today talking about the jet short and what a, what a storm of Twitter. Hey, don't shoot the messenger. Like, come on. <laughs> I mean, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, you did just now, Kevin, what you do on uh, shark tank and mm -hmm. uh, elsewhere, when you describe your reasoning for making or not making an investment, obviously in shark tank, you can't short something. Um, you, it's do you invest or not? But when we're talking about stock market, yeah, you can get on the short side, not just selling a position that you've got, but establishing a short position, um, which is, you know, obviously a, a 300 or 180 degrees from what you can do on Shark Tank. That's clearly just binary. I'm buying it or nope, I'm not buying it. Um, but with the market, you can bet on both directions. 
Um, so to hear you talk about a negative or a short is a big deal. Yeah. What are you going to tell the guys on Shark Tank about MMEDF? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't think anybody on Shark Tank has had a five-bagger, 10-bagger, 50-bagger like you have here um, and because you were in on the ground floor of really mind med. Maybe not right I, I, I wasn't planning to, to buy into that because I thought it was just another cannabis story. And I don't, and I've already t said many times why well, I didn't do the cannabis. But my guy, Alex, um, who does, uh, who runs my private uh, portfolio, he really did a deep dive into that space. And um, I remember uh, in the early days, uh, you know, when JR called me saying, This Alex guy, he's, he's, he's eating my flesh like a weasel. You got to stop. He's driving me crazy. And I said, Look, the guys, you asked me to do due diligence. You want me to come in and find your company. I send my weasel. And, and he's the guy. And, and he did a lot of work on it. And uh, he just came back with the, and I, and I said to him, look, Alex, I can't get involved in Schedule One Narcotics. He said, no, you gotta, this one you got to look at. And that, that, was the, that story's well known now. But the point is, you don't really get many opportunities in any stock. You got, all of us look at stocks every day and sectors every day. But when somebody's saying there's a brand new medicine and a whole new sector emerging that was not invested in since the 60s, you got to wake up to that, even though the outcome still can be binary. You just don't know. But I like what, the, I like what everybody that's involved in that space, not just JR, all those CEOs and these different companies are going to the FDA, showing them what they got, talking about the potential. That's the right thing, and it's a very long song. Uh, but, but, you know, let's go back to the financials, because, Pete, you talked about banks. Now, you know, here's my premise on banks. Let's take regional first, okay, because I used to be a big investor in regionals. And they've had a good run, too, um, and so have the money center banks. But if, if, if I tell you that, um, well, let's take a real case. Last quarter, Bed Bath & Beyond, 200 stores, they shut them down. Pretty well every suburb in America. Now, who has the loans on the pizza guy beside the Bed Bath & Beyond or the movie theater or the dry cleaner? It's all the regionals. I don't think we've marked to market that the downside of the potential bankruptcies at the back end of this year, starting early next year, because who owns that? The loan book of the regionals. And so far, we've been shoring them up with money from the sky from the government to say, don't worry about that loan. Don't worry about this loan. Don't worry about that loan. Well, you know, there's so many other places you can invest where you don't have to take that kind of risk. So I don't buy the regionals. Money center banks, to me, are nothing more than regulated utilities. You talk more about what Biden's policy is going to be versus what Jamie Dimon can deliver in earnings. I mean, that's crazy, but it's the truth. If Biden doesn't like the banks, or, or which I don't think, I have no reason to think he doesn't, but politicians determine share price in big banks, and I don't like that at all. That's the way I look at it. It's a personal opinion. So I'd rather own the fintechs and, you know, the squares and all the companies that are doing neat things in payment processing that deal with another round of Elizabeth Warren, you know, speech about bashing these horrible banks. I hate that stuff. But that's what I think holds, holds them back. Pete, do you have one more question for Kev before uh, we let him uh, uh, get ready for the next Shark Tank episode? Sure. The last question I'd ask Kevin was something you brought up about. I'm in American Express as well, by the way, and you said you took it off for the variety of reasons that you did. Um, is there a point in time that you'd look at that before the news, I would say, that you would look at American Express and say, you know what, it's gotten too cheap? Because I don't disagree with you. I think it could 
come back significantly. But when I look at these financials, a lot of these names that had run to the upside certainly could come back, whether it's a Visa or a MasterCard or especially American Express because of the exposure that they've got to the business traveler. So do you have to see business travel start to pick up for you to get excited about American Express again? You know, I, it just, Pete, what happened was I, I got two years worth of returns and six weeks on it. And I'm like everybody else. I look at that and say, I've got more downside than upside now because I don't think the world's taking into account what's going to happen in business travel Q1, Q2. They're going to be very disappointed. It's just not going to come back the way everybody thought. It's going to take a lot longer. I'm not saying it never will. But, you know, I think, can I buy into Amex again, a core holding that I've had for also decades, again, at a lower price? Absolutely. I mean, remember, I used to pound the table on Boeing. You guys remember we used to talk about that until things changed. You know, it wasn't, it's not just the 777 Max and all that stuff, um, you know, or, or the, the, it was more about the change of the market, you know, saying that we're not going to have the same regulatory environment for the airlines or for Boeing. And the fact that we have to now start relying on vacation travel, not business travel. So it's going to be a different kind of airplane format and all the lost orders and all that stuff. So you got to pick your points of entry and exit. Things change. We talk about that all the time. I'm pretty comfortable, you know, taking, you know, a, a huge run off the table in Amex and, and just waiting and seeing what happens. But again, you know, I'll, I'll end it on the themes. I just staying long, the consumer staying long technology and boy, do I love healthcare. Healthcare is, <laughs> is like, Healthcare. I'm just banging the table. I don't like. I own all the big names, but I'm also looking for new opportunities on the private side. Like, you know, well, who's the next MindMed? What's the next thing? I mean, that's the, the these themes stay for years, and that's why I want to stay looking. Thanks, guys. I, I got to run. Kevin, you're yeah. the best. We appreciate your appreciate time it. immensely, sir. So we're going to be respectful yeah. and say thanks for sharing all of that, all of those insights. Thank you very much for sharing MindMed. Pete will not be sending you uh, <laughs> favorite. Well, we, we, can, we can watch MindMed now roll for the next little while. Let's see what happens. I think there's so much excitement about the space, MindMed and others, um, you know, and just the potential. Uh, I, I can't, I get so many calls about when can I enroll into that trial? I want to try the, the anti-depression thing. How do, who do I talk to? I mean, there's a lot of people hurting out there. We know that. And, and so I'm hopefully these outcomes are going to be good. But thanks, Thank guys. You. Take care. Thank you, Kevin O'Leary. Bye-bye. Kevin O'Leary, folks. Uh, Shark Tank and, of course, the Halftime Report. We always appreciate his insights. Pete, thanks. Enjoy Florida. Awesome. We thank all of you for listening. Thanks, and we look forward to being back with you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.